like the show? Want to listen to episodes early? Consider becoming a patron. Starting at the $3 a month level, patrons get access to a custom patron-only feed where we put out episodes of Upstairs Studio podcasts like the Child Care Bar and Grill, Miss Becky's Classroom, That Early Childhood Nerd, the Renegade Rules podcast, and others early. That feed is just for patrons. You could be one of them. Go to patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Heather. I know you're here to listen to the podcast, but did you know I also offer all kinds of online consulting services? Stuff like webinars, book studies, curriculum training and consultation, and even companion activities for podcast episodes to use for staff development. If you're interested, you can check out my website at www.thatearlychildhoodnerd.com or you can email me at heather at thatearlychildhoodnerd.com. Thanks for listening. Grab your highlighters. Can't find them? They're probably right there in your pocket protector. It's time for that Early Childhood Nerd Podcast. Let's get nerdy. Here's Heather. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of That Early Childhood Nerd. I'm glad you're here. It's the second installment of this new series called That Early Childhood Nerd Study Hall. And uh, I've got four wonderful people here to discuss this week's article. And um, I'll tell you who they are. It's Tiffany Pearsall. That's me. And Lisa Murphy. Hello. And Sam Belch. Howdy. And Emma Tempest. Yay. Oh, by the way, did everyone know that Sam had an article in the last issue of Exchange? Yes. Okay, just checking. Didn't, listeners, if you didn't know Thanks. that, she does. Uh, <laughs> and it popped up in my inbox, like the Daily Exchange, and I was yeah. like, somebody email this to her. I don't have her email address. <laughs> that felt so nice. That was, yeah. that was so fun for me. Yeah. Yay. I probably well, will also frame that, <laughs> that being you- emailed to me. <laughs> So this time we're going to talk about an article called Gorilla Teaching Tactics, G-U-E-R-I-L-L-A, <laughs> Gorilla, Gorilla Teaching Tactics, and this is by Francis Wardle and was published in Child Care Information Exchange. Um, and I'm just, I want to read just the first, uh, the first bit, cause I think that's a good intro and then you, we can all jump in and talk about what we feel like the message of the article was, if that's okay <laughs> with you guys. Yeah. So he starts by saying the most frequent comment I received from my community college, early childhood students is, but we can't do what you suggest. We're not allowed to in our programs. Uh, so this resonated with me for a lot of reasons. Yes, me as well. Um, and and the, t- the 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 tone, the message, overall message of the article seems to be, um, we have a responsibility to push back and to teach those who are within our sphere, whether it's a classroom or a colleague or uh, uh, ourselves, <laughs> to to advocate for what he's really describing as a revolution. Is that a fair summation? What would you We add? sure do. Yeah. <laughs> I would I would say that's a fair summation, part, especially because the second part of this article, which all of you should read, whoever is listening, this article is really well written. Francis mm-hmm. Wordle, wherever you are, you're so cool. 
The second section of, or I guess the first slash second section of the article is called Teaching is a Revolutionary Activity, um, which I think is something we forget a lot, Mm -hmm. that a lot of these ideas that you might especially see like people kind of attaching themselves to like this idea of, you know, a quote Reggio school or Montessori, or even just the ideas that Dewey himself had, those were very revolutionary ideas in their time and continue to be as such. They're also very political ideas. Teaching is a political act. It's a revolutionary act. It requires this sort of knowledge and willingness to push against the status quo, which is both extremely exhilarating and super scary. <laughs> I'm practicing the pause. <laughs> see practice, to see anything. who's going to say something. Well, I mean, if going to, to the section that Sam's talking about too, the, the last part where he says it's one thing to teach our students what they should be doing with their children and their families. It's another thing to show them how to challenge authority when expectations, assessments, activities, and experiences are inappropriate and even damaging. And I highlighted that, that very much resonated with me and to beat the dead horse of my, you know, what are you doing? What page is it on? Why are you doing it? Who is it for? Just that, that permission to start pushing back still in a professional manner, but, but being willing to be more direct in our language and not being so nice about everything and beating around the bush all the time. However, here's my point. I highlighted that section, but then I wrote in the margin, would you argue that, that knowledge about the theorists who he does outline before saying that, which case, I, I had a chicken and an egg thought, you know, mm-hmm. do you need to kind of understand the theory before you care about pushing back? Like, is there some, do you get strength and credibility from the fact that you're not the first one that thinks this, oh, now I feel much more confident because look at all these other people that said this before me? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think just my own personal view, I know that I had the feelings about you know, what I think what I'm doing isn't the best way to do this, but I can't articulate why before I found the theorists, mm-hmm. um, before I realized all this information was out there. Um, so I, I don't, I, I mean, obviously my lived experience is my lived experience, so I don't know how it would have been different, but I know um, having my feelings backed up was really powerful. Like all of a sudden finding these um, writings and these workshops and these people, I am gesturing broadly to everyone on the screen, um, <laughs> that had the same beliefs as I did, made me feel like I, I had more credibility now to be able to push back on, you know, these sorts of activities and quote curriculum unquote that my school was offering. Yeah, I feel like I had the opposite experience. I had a really good um, experience in terms of what I learned at university um, about early childhood in England. Um, and I feel like, although I had pushback within the school that I was in, just for simply being in a school setting, um, I felt like I had all that confidence from knowing all the theory. And then when I moved here, <laughs> it was like, dun, dun, dun. Yeah, was like <laughs> do you not know this and I'd say like I'd, I'd observe a child doing something and I'd say something and I'd say you know like so and so says and they'd be like who who's that <laughs> and it's almost I've kind of gone the other way where I've tried to find out more things now to back up what I already know and people like you Lisa and Heather and people who were who were out there 
saying it out loud, it just gives that extra layer of backup to what you already think. Tiffany, you're in love with John Dewey. What do you think? So do you <laughs> we all? Uh, what I think, I can't get my brain to stop thinking about that we're targeting the wrong audience with our guerrilla teaching. The teachers are on board. The teachers are saying that they're not allowed to do it in their program. So where the, are we allowed to curse on this show? Yes. Where the fuck are the administrators, you guys? Like, why aren't they at this table? Yeah. What? Well, I have to interrupt there. But where... I'm going to interrupt and play devil's advocate and, and I'm not wanting to make a huge overarching global broad statement because this only happened in one specific town. I was invited to speak to superintendents and I went on Facebook and I said, all right, early child frontline people, I'm going to have a room full of superintendents and principals undivided attention. What do you want them to know? And I made a word wall for them, right? So that visual of this was said more times than this one. And we talked about it and every single one of the people in the room said to me, we want them to do this stuff. So it was a, a beautiful opportunity, and I'm not going to exaggerate. I mean, it was it was one time, right? But you know, I, I'm the kind of person that would say this this can't be the only town where this is happening, where there is this this perceived disconnect of we want them to go and do what they're trained to do, but they're not doing it because they're afraid that we don't want them doing it. So now we have to take the initiative and go and tell them directly what we want them to do. So this is, it's this horrible miscommunication cycle that I think is being perpetuated. So I just wanted to interrupt and say that, yes, I think admin does need to be, of course, at the table when we have this conversation, but sometimes teachers are very guilty of having a perceived belief mm -hmm. that they're not allowed to do something. Yeah. And well, and yeah. the author says, um, all the teaching advice and advice on developmentally appropriate practice and best practices provided by instructors like him is meaningless if the center or school where the teacher works doesn't fully understand and apply them or doesn't support the teachers who are struggling with it. So I think that's kind of where you were coming from, uh, and, Tiffany. And it also speaks to the validation piece, um, Emma, that you mentioned why aren't the teachers being validated from above why aren't they being mm -hmm. supported in that way instead of just being told like here's the lesson plan format you have to do every day well i would i would say to that that sometimes and we know this to be true that people go up that hierarchy of the positioning you know and they get promoted in the early childhood ladder so to speak the career ladder uh, not necessarily because they're in touch with developmental theory, but they've been there the longest or, you know, they have a really right. good rapport and so they get promoted to director. So uh, without it sounding judgy, because I, I hope it's not coming across like that, but they, they might not know just because now they're now in a higher up position doesn't necessarily mean, right. you know, that they have their finger on the pulse of what the theorists have said mm -hmm. and, and, well, and how to be affirming to their staff. And my experience, well, so for one thing, the field is fragmented it's inconsistent. Not everybody in the classroom has had this kind of training that we're even talking about. Mm -hmm. So that's one issue. But the other, my, my experience and what I've heard from other, lots of other people, every class you take in an early childhood teacher prep course starts with a chapter on the theorists, but that's the last time any time is spent on the theorists. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, for your first week, this is like our introduction. Not everybody has their textbooks yet. So we'll just all read the same information and do you know a quick assignment about it. And then it's, 
I had one class where I had to then tie anything else back to those theorists, really. Mm. Um, so I think being presented with the information and really understanding how to apply it are two different Definitely. things, like, yeah. like so many other areas. And I also, um, just going back to what um, Francis Wardle wrote about how it's one thing to teach our students what they should be doing, and then another... Um, to show them how to challenge authority when expectations, assessments, activities, and experiences are inappropriate or even damaging. Um, that is a skill that I know that, you know, perhaps adults don't even have because if they didn't have an opportunity to do that in school, if they went to a school that expected compliance, that expected, you know, fill in this worksheet and turn it in, then they don't have that experience. And that's just, you know, general career experience. And I think we might, as a society, I'm sort of referring to the general American society here, um, expect that maybe, you know, people in offices might push back and come up with ideas like that. But, oh, if you're a teacher, like, you know, you're, you're doing what's expected of you, you're listening. So there's this, this societal expectation of how we should be mm -hmm. acting and the possibility that since we haven't done it before, um, it might be very scary. It might be very new. We might not know how to appropriately but aggressively say, this is not right for children. This is harming them. I'm going to do X, Y, Z in my classroom. It's, that's a whole other skill set that, like he says, we need to teach these teachers. And I think for those of us that are in a classroom currently, we can also help our three, four, five-year-olds do that too. Mm -hmm. um, I know that's something I work on in my classroom is teaching them how to disagree respectfully, letting them have a chance to play with different ideas, no matter what their ideas are, and just talk about them in a space where they know it's okay to disagree they can come to agreements compromises or they can completely change each other's minds there's the whole patriarchy thing as well the fact that women are taught not to it always is <laughs> like i've noticed that like just living in the south um mm. of america like i'll say things and i'll you know people are clutching the pearls and like how <laughs> 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 dare you um but yeah, I think a lot of what he says about the kind of the problems that it, that people are faced with this, it is tenfold. Like there's the whole section about working with parents. Mm -hmm. You know, if your if your vision for parents isn't clearly explained on enrollment and then continually explained, then they are going to fight you back because they don't get it, and yeah. the only people that can help them to get it is us. And I'll go back to something that Lisa said a minute ago, Lisa, when you said something about people in the classroom, assume that this is a rule or assume that this is the way it has to be done, but they haven't ever actually asked. I think it's the same when we talk about, cause he, he talks in the article about people saying, but this is what the parents want. Um, and then, and later he refers to assumed parent desires. I think mm -hmm. that's sort of a, an, an easy um, easy out that we take sometimes. We assume that this is what parents want and we use that when parents could want lots of things that we would fight back against. Like if a parent said, I want you to bite my toddler when he bites somebody, we would, we would take a stand because we know. So I, when I hear people say, but this is what parents want, a lot of times what I see really is, well, it's what you want too, or you would push back a little mm -hmm. harder. Mm -hmm. I, I, I definitely agree, agree with that. Yeah. And I think, I think the confidence of pushing back comes from knowing that other people have said maybe what you felt like mm -hmm. you said sure. in your yeah. gut, that, that affirmation. And I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, all of you know, pretty much me and, and my work out there. Selfishly, this article is a lot of amazing. Uh, it's going to be a lot of uh, amazing additions to 
the Meet the Masters workshop that I do. You're right. It's a, just another layer of, of credibility as to why and, and rationale as to why you need to know this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, because it Absolutely. puts it outside of yourself, right? It's not that Lisa Murphy wants you, but according to Piaget and based on the work <laughs> of Dewey and, and occasionally that strategic name drop keeps, I believe, that conversation going where sometimes it would have just gotten shut down. And just, I, I think we can all just practice that. If, you know, we can go to mm-hmm. your workshop and it's a great workshop, but we can all practice that. I do that. want to. I, I've been to that one. It's good. It's, it's a um, workshop. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and now of course I forgot where I was going. Oh, well we can start making those connections. So it may have started with our own feeling and then was validated by learning about the theorists. So we may learn about the theorists first, whichever way we go, we can start to make connections between the everyday things that are happening and what those theorists said children need or do best with or are best supported by. Um, and that's how we're going to help. That's how this revolution is going to happen is when we are so comfortable with why we're doing what we're doing. And um, we know that there are other folks, even if it's just someone in a book and not in our classroom with us, who, who validate that, then we're going to be able to, to go out there more confidently, I think. Right. And that, that is, that's both a, a, a challenge to people um, mm-hmm. and sort of kind of like you've been saying, I, I would view that as a requirement. Like you need to know what you're doing and why you're doing it. So you do need to have some information backed up. I know your state might only require 12 credits for you to be a teacher, but if this is where you're going to be, do some reading on your own. Let's bulk yourself up. Go to Lisa's yeah. workshop. <laughs> well, I think it's, I think any profession. I think people know the history of their profession, right? right? And 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 I think it just should. And I'll shit on you. It comes with the territory, and I do have a high expectation of that. I re- and I and I take this hard stance. If you are in this industry and don't have a working knowledge of the folks that paved the way, especially the folks that kind of are saying the same thing you are. Like to me, that's borders on an ethical issue. You gotta mm-hmm. know. Not mm-hmm. you don't need to be able to recite everything, but the but to realize that the work that we're all doing has its has its um, has roots in the work of the folks mm-hmm. who paved the way. Like like when I'm in a Montessori classroom and people in the room don't even know that there was a woman named Maria Montessori <laughs> that just makes I mean it's beyond eye roll I mean yeah. I get right. like it's- you have no right to be here yeah. because then that perpetuates you know all all the myth right oh yeah. we're right. Montessori because we've got all these superficial trappings and and I don't know I just think yeah. it brings a depth and more credibility to our work when we realize how what they did influences what we do. Yeah. I, so like 25 years ago when all I had was a high school diploma and I was working in a child care center and it just started, sort of started to learn that there were things you could learn about early childhood. <laughs> um, I had this book called um, how a child thinks a Piaget primer and it was Dorothy Singer. Um, and it used like Winnie the Pooh and Harold and the purple crayon and these other kind of children's things to make connections. And I was reading it and that was my first introduction and I was so into it and I was reading it like at the church that I went to, I think. And this woman who ran a Montessori preschool, uh, sat down and asked me what I was reading. And I told her and she was like, Oh, yeah, I did my master's thesis on Piaget. I don't really get it, though. Like, I guess kids will just do it when they're ready is what he says. <laughs> Come on. Much. But there's more. But yes. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't even ask about Montessori. No. 
<laughs> did she get her master's thesis at the university of her big right toe? Like, yeah. <laughs> 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 gotta know your thesis material is my suggestion. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Well, I think the, the radicalness and the gorilliness too, and I'm going to, I'm going to put our lens like a hyper focus on one thing that he mentioned mm -hmm. here um, of the Kaiser childcare centers, which is a personal, like a lubby thing of mine that a lot of people in our, our profession aren't familiar with. But I mean, especially right now during the, the COVID crisis, just seeing what happened when, you know, people had a vision and what was able to like literally start happening overnight to make sure, um, that that the people who were building it started in navy shipyards um actually i think actually out by where tiffany is i think it was out there um but anyway you can google kaiser childcare and get a really amazing history of 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 when everybody needed childcare and they were 24 seven. It was beautiful. It was as it was just absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. And, and like, but when I read that, like I have a working knowledge of what that was all about, but like how many people like skimmed over that or thought it was mm -hmm. uh, for our California listeners thought it was something associated with the healthcare system, you know, out in Kaiser, <laughs> you know, and now granted that that's another part of that story, but that, you know, it isn't real time. It's, it's a really fascinating world war II historical thing. And, and we often wonder why wasn't it allowed to continue? Like it manifested during crisis. And then when the crisis went away, it went away. And, you know, there's perhaps some lessons to be learned as we come yeah. in and deal with the, the COVID childcare crises that we're seeing, mm -hmm. crises yeah. that we're seeing. But also patriarchy is yeah. what happened to the Kaiser because that yeah. was for the women who had to go to work because the men were all at war, right? True. So the True. men came home from the war and back. a lot of times employers weren't allowed to hire women because men got the first dibs for the jobs. So then there wasn't True. the so need. And that's when this Beaver Cleaver image of, or June Cleaver image started of what a family should look like and all that garbage. So and that's a whole different workshop. I know. Yes. <laughs> yes. That sounds like a good workshop though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so shoot, I, that reminded me of something and then I forgot again. Oh, had anybody ever heard of the lifelike pedagogy approach that he refers to? No. I had not. So I, me either, but I'm looking it up. Um, because so I, it's interesting to me and I want to jump to that actual section that's guerrilla teaching tactics for a minute mm -hmm. if if we can do that um because he he says that in his early childhood or his curriculum class that he teaches he doesn't talk about any specific curricula he talks about how all curricula are the manifestation of a specific philosophy that is based on a set of beliefs about children development learning and teaching can we unpack that a little bit Sure. Everybody highlighted that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hi. Yeah, definitely. Are we talking too much for you, Tiffany? <laughs> I want to hear from you. I feel like we're talking over you. I, I am so out of practice. <laughs> like, okay. all my brain knows how to do right now is run through our chart of accounts on QuickBooks. I'm like, sorry. I didn't mean to call you My out. brain is in a weird place right now, so I might have to, I'm catching it's up. It's a weird time. Okay. All right. Sorry. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> curricula is a manifestation of a specific philosophy, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think? I think that's beautiful. And I think yeah. that if everybody came at it from that angle, curriculum would look very different. And I think if everyone came at it from that angle, people would be way more comfortable calling out curriculum that is developmentally inappropriate. Because what do you mean? So, what, so how I'm thinking about it is like, um, if you've got a curriculum 
that say has your one and a half and two year olds sitting in a circle looking at flashcards with the letter A on them and then everybody says, ah, ah, apple. Um, then you can, if you put apply this lens of, okay, this is coming from someone's belief about how children learn and what children deserve. Mm -hmm. So it looks to me like the person who designed this specific scenario believes that children learn best in a group setting, but where the adult is the one doing the thing and the children are repeating after them. Mm-hmm. And does that mesh with what I know about, um, you know, developmentally appropriate practice? No, it doesn't. If you're playing <laughs> along at home. <laughs> and okay. So now I see that that's inappropriate. So now I can, I now have some, you know, some context, some foundation for going up against this mm-hmm. and saying, Hey, this isn't how children learn letters. This is okay, I got to interrupt. And if this actually <laughs> happened, the NAYC vendor hall would be empty. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If everybody yeah. in this field walked through any, any, and I'm not calling out AYC, any, any, any conference, conference. If you yeah. vendor hall. Anything any at all. conference vendor hall with a 100% developmentally appropriate lens and actually was willing to do that. Oh, I would be a happy, I'd be like a pig in mud. So I'm going to speak up. Oh, it's yes. Coming. Yay. Floodgates are opening soon. Okay. I think something that my heart is sort of breaking because at the end of the day, this is a business. And the curriculums yes. that aren't developmentally appropriate make money and people keep buying them because they need answers and they don't know how to do this. So they Mm -hmm. buy the ones that look nice, that sound nice, that they've seen somewhere else that they know before. And it's a way to make money. Mm -hmm. like, this has nothing to do with developmentally appropriate practice. No, No, the capitalist system has infiltrated this too. Um, We're all doing our best to survive. Fundamentally, childcare in America is built on it. I don't know about yeah. infiltrated. There is a there's a really good book called um, Oh Crud. I think it's called Class Warfare, but I have to double check um, and get you the author. But it's about this: the privatization of childhood, um, mm-hmm. really yeah. specifically early childhood in a lot of ways, and how these sorts of programs are making it harder for developmentally appropriate things to actually happen, and for you know, the groups of children that really need this the most to get it. Mm -hmm. Um, Really, really good stuff. I will, I will, I will send that along so everyone can read it. Um, Class Warfare Inside the Fight to Fix America's Schools by Stephen Brill. No, that's a different one. Oh, hold on. I think it's, I think her name's Megan, but I I think to to reinforce the, the kind of cycle that we've been talking about, I would think that, that if we were more in touch with the theory we would be able to, you know, I, I, I agree that it is built on it. We gave our power up in the 90s and Elizabeth Jones mm-hmm. reminds us that when she speaks, right? Mm-hmm. That we gave it, we were so good at getting everybody to believe that what we did was important that we, our power got taken away. And so now we're trying to figure out how to get it back. And so to that, they did get in, they did infiltrate at that early point, And now it is, I think, built, built on it. But we would be more confident, I think, and, and not drink their Kool-Aid if we, if we w- could consciously articulate how what they're selling is not healthy. Yeah. 
I um I have been operating from a position that our best hope of revolution is with the consumer because of the capitalist mm-hmm. system. Um, and so parents are, are the ones- Are you suggesting that we seize the means of reproduction? Uh-huh, a <laughs> um, little bit. And, uh, and so parents and families are the ones that we need to really be equipping with this information. But I've been working really hard on that for like the last year with several families that I am either friends with or who work you know, who, who I'm working with in the preschool. And, um, and now I just see despair because they're like, I can't find that anywhere. I know what I should look for now and I can't find it anywhere. Yeah. And so I but, almost feel like I've screwed them over. <laughs> but no, I'm having a thought and thank God I know all of you. So I'm not scaring anybody away at this point, but do you think perhaps, okay, so current, current real time situation, a lot yes. of people who were sending their children to programs, nursery schools, childcare, whatever, are now in their home with their own kid imagine mm-hmm. if we flipped it and painted a picture like imagine now in this right now we told you this is what you had to be doing at eight o'clock eight fifteen eight thirty which some parents are being told that and right? really are thirsting yeah. for <laughs> and, and, and and well they think they're thirsting for it right. but i think it's i think it's causing a lot of stress and you you play the card like and you had one kid two kids three kids mm-hmm. there imagine having 18 all of the same age like i actually think if we spin this the right way we can come out on the other side of this actually having more fuel for for a open play-based programming because parents are going to be fresh out of their own experience of going, I don't know how the hell you did it. This is an unrealistic expectation. And we're going to be able to harness that and be like, (laughs) ding, 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 ding. Exactly. And now from this point forward, this is going to be the philosophy and the orientation of the program. Like I really think, and to me, that would be guerrilla tactic. You know, Mm -hmm. what did we learn from this immediate situation without being reactive, but what from this can we use to our advantage to keep our, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? To keep our platform moving ahead. You know, would this potentially allow a springboard as opposed to just these little baby steps that we keep making? Like, could this launch us mm-hmm. into somewhere better? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'll, I'll say that, so we've um, started, we've been soliciting feedback from parents about sort of what we're providing during this time uh, apart where our school is closed, but we are still working to connect with them. And that's really our main focus just is connection. Um, so we've, we sent, you know, a quick email to parents the other day, just asking them how they're doing. And if they want to meet with us without their children and just like talk like, to <laughs> another human being. Um, and we got some really great feedback from parents. Um, like the feedback about what we're doing they're they're very happy with it. And that's great. But more importantly, on this point, the parents that are the happiest right now are the ones that are saying, we don't really have a set schedule every day, but we do have kinds of things that we Mm -hmm. offer. And we expect, you know, like there's some families with older children and younger children. So it's like, so we expect, you know, our second grader and our third grader to have done this, 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 and this by Friday. And when they do it is sort of up to them. And then, you know, there's all that there's, we try to make sure they get outside every day, at least once a day. And we try to make sure they're doing something uh, by themselves and something together. I'm like, oh, look at that. Look at what you're doing. <laughs> That's so great. The freedom within the structure, mm-hmm. right? The yeah, structure, exactly. Right? The expectation yeah. is consistent and clear. And then how the kids go about doing it is up to them. I mean, that's good preschool right there. Boom. How dare yeah. you suggest that children have rights? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that is revolutionary. I do. Right? I know. I know. Oh my gosh. I think, um, sort of back to your point, Lisa, about th- this idea of 
I don't like, I don't want to call it like pushing back, but I also do like pushing back against like the curriculums that are offered to us, us being like an educator who might just be said, this is what you're doing. Um, where the author talks about showing his students how to create out to outcomes, objectives, and quote, meeting the required standards by simply taking the curriculum they have developed and imposing an outcome-based approach on it. Like that is great. Yes. That is something we all like, if there's one thing that like people listening are like looking for how to do like, okay, well I am the person he's talking about yeah. like this. That's what I would say yeah. is learn how to do that. I just had a little bit of a, like a Facebook message message exchange a week or so ago with a woman um, who is doing just that. She's, she, she took the, um, the nerd planning form that I was just going to plug developed. that. It's oh, thanks. Fantastic well, I should have let you do it. Um, and she, she tweaked it just enough to where it, um, it meets all the things she's supposed to have, but she can still kind of do it backwards where she does the things in the room and then writes them where they fit on the form. And um, so that's exactly what she's doing. And what, what Francis Wardle says is he's teaching them to morph the approach they have developed in the class into the approach they're required to use in their own practice. And so I exactly. Think and that I also think is really great practice for us as educators to provide this opportunity for us to practice how to back up what we do. Sure. It's like, and I okay, think it's well, advocacy. Yeah. Course. It's a little, it's a little revolutionary act <laughs> inside a big <laughs> picture. Yeah. That's one thing I've noticed with um, seeing teachers posting about um, like what to send home for AMI and they've kind of scrambled and done as, as much as they can. And now there's, I don't know if anyone else has noticed this, but there's like a shift to, oh, well, the kids just want to talk to me. Yeah. They just want to connect with me. And part of me just wants to shout at them and say, that's what you should have been doing in the mm -hmm. first place. That's all yeah. they've ever wanted. Right, right. It's not, they don't want that because they're, we're in crisis now. That's right. what they've that's always exactly. wanted. And they have the opportunity to ask for yeah. it now. And yeah. like, to what you were saying, Lisa, the whole, like, this is our time to shine and really show that play is this powerful tool because it's, it's had this wave of, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Panic, panic, panic. And then everybody's kind of gone, oh, actually, the playing <laughs> is enough. Like, it really, really is enough. Uh, uh, yeah, and can, can, I, can I just say, like, having, having you, Emma, like, just lead that little conversation about this idea of connection, like, going back to feeling backed up by what I'm doing. Um, like, I mentioned a little bit earlier that my co-teacher and I, that has been our direction during this crisis, is if we're meeting on Zoom, we're doing it to connect with these children. And right. that's, that's our primary outcome. And we've been pushing that really hard. We've been using that language with um, all of our other coworkers and all of our parents. So to hear a group of my peers say that, <laughs> yeah, that's the key. I'm like, yes, very vindicated. Like I knew it was right already, but I'm like, yes, yes. people and start, agree with me. Start thinking now about how you're going to keep that carrying through right? when we all oh, go back to normal. Oh. Dude, I just I just wrote down how you're going to do it. You are going to say moving forward. That was something I was going to challenge all of you. You got to keep right there. There's your soundbite. Connection is all they've ever wanted. Remember back when? Remember back when? That's going to allow us to remember. Like why why do you think it's more than that at this point? You know, just because we're not yeah. locked down at home anymore, this is all they want. You got to meet them at that spot. And, and once that connection and relationship is consistent and it's, it's based on trust and, you know, mutual understanding, then you can start building on top of that. But there's always going to be times when it comes down to that, not a regression. I don't want to, I don't want the listeners to think I'm implying that it's, it's a, a reduction or, or backtracking, but 
you know, there's going to be times when the connection, dare I say, Heather, the caring element (laughs) is not just what the kids need, but it's all that they need. And it is enough. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say, and yeah. and it's what they deserve. Yeah, like it's what they Absolutely. have a right to. Yeah. Whew. I'm getting all teary. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I love this conversation. This is, this, it's good. This is anything so else good. that you hoped we'd get to that we haven't. I said I was gonna stop and make it two episodes, and then I totally didn't. So we'll just. <laughs> um, I I loved the section about collective leadership. That yes. is like I'd also love to go back to the part about parents, but the select the about collective Can I just leadership. Just say I've ordered three books since I read this article, and I almost <laughs> teased you when I saw that, and I saw the Jesus list Christ. of the books you ordered. I was like, I know why you did yeah. that. I know why you did that. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. Did you go ahead. did you just or, did you just order Giants in the Nursery? Because I just no, I already had that one. No, that one I, I didn't have it yet. So. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, it's now what, on my what, list. I hope you remember what you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, this this idea of collective leadership, which is again like this revolutionary radical idea that it's not one person in charge making all the decisions it's a community Mm -hmm. if you want a school if you want a classroom that is a community everyone has a stake in it and that includes the children yep we'll Mm -hmm. argue that until i die um (laughs) and that means everyone has to be fully involved with all of it you have to if you're a director you have to trust your teachers to be involved in it if you're a teacher you have to advocate for yourself to get up in a lot of situations to be involved with it because there are some places where that's not expected. Right. Um, but we owe so, it to the so children mean, we serve. So you mean it, it should actually resemble a, a democracy? Yeah. Well, <laughs> you're, saying, you're saying we should deconstruct the typical hierarchical, hierarchical chains of authority? You heard it here first, folks. Touching my pearls again. You're clutching your pearls and, and Tiffany, I Tiffany think... is feeling the, the dewy resonation in the... I think uh, I think the phrase is um tear it down, burn it, burn it down. <laughs> yes, just completely again, change it. Yeah. So again, I have to ask, where are the directors? Where are directors getting their trainings from? How do they learn to be a director? You know what? With that's a, a good question. That's that, that is, is actually. I've never been one. My experience has almost always been it's a classroom teacher who was really good at being a classroom teacher, and so they got promoted. But they don't have that training for leadership and coaching, mm-hmm. and that they have to find on the job. They have to figure it out on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I know there are of course exceptions, but that's what I think is the yeah probably most like, common. Like I know my my current director who is amazing she was also a classroom teacher but she's also been in other leadership positions Mm -hmm. like any sort of like leadership thing like she she does on her own time on Mm -hmm. her own money like she flies out i remember last fall she flew to chicago for a conference for this remember the days of flying places (laughs) right right (laughs) airports were cool but like she's like actively seeking it all out herself that that Mm -hmm. wasn't before she had this that's And I mean, she's also very big into, you know, keeping up with professional learning as you're doing things. Um, But that's not an option for lots of people. And so maybe there's space for empathy um, Mm -hmm. for those folks in those positions who are making these decisions that we're so uncomfortable with. Some people were thrown into the deep end, But there's still that ethical responsibility of of figuring it out once you're in the job. I think that comes back to the collectiveness of it all right. that it isn't just the director's responsibility it's yeah. everybody's and if you are 
a new director that's kind of gone into that role through just being a good teacher and moving up it's bringing your people with you it's bringing, mm-hmm. making your tribe and you know having those conversations that might be a little bit awkward and a little bit hard but they're coming from a place of good not just for the children but for you as a person let alone as a professional mm-hmm. just for your own personal development and that brings you face Absolutely. to face with your you, not your, but our own, maybe our insecurities or our worries. Am I doing it right? You know, I used to mm-hmm. go out partying with these women and now I'm their boss, you know, so what kind of old tapes are being Still party with them. Well, <laughs> right? That's the secret. Right? right? What, are the, what are the rules at this, at this point? And my thought while you were talking, Emma, is actually, do, do you, th- how do I, how do I ask this question? Like the, let's say 10 of us decided we were going to all be, uh, we were all on the same page, like what we've been talking about right now. And we decided to open a program and, and I would think moving yes. forward, that would be right. But, but look at how you're already ahead of the curve, right? We already know that that's, that's a goal. That's a vision. That's a belief mm-hmm. system. So our action is always going to be um, linked to the vision, right? Like, but it was something you said yesterday, Emma, during the reading of the book, talking about how the, it, the vision and then the thought or the action follows the, the decision or the, I forget how you said it, Emma. It was really awesome. Um, but, but we have a shared vision, so our actions are going to be in like, oh yeah, say it. You have to have a feeling before you can have a thought. So there when, you go. When you, when you have, well, it's kind of, it's what it's six like more this. than the other. You can have a feeling but it's always there's always a thought behind that feeling so if you're feeling angry about something it's because you're thinking about something if you're feeling passionate about play and wanting to advocate for it it's because you're having a thought that you know there maybe isn't enough or whatever it is without having that that thought in the first place and figuring out what that actual sentence in your mind is it, nothing will get done. You can't take the action until you really like deep dive into it. And, Absolutely. And, and I'm thinking if you had people who drank that Kool-Aid mm-hmm. from the get go, your programming is going to be, I don't know, more balanced and more shared and more, more equitable, more ethical, more everything versus having an existing program and you come in as the director or you're now promoted as the director and you've got all of these grand ideas and now you're trying to get everybody on the same page. And I just think that would be so amazingly frustrating and overwhelming. Um, especially if somebody, you know, how do you become a director? You know, you get thrown in the deep end, you know, somebody didn't come back on Monday and you had, (laughs) you know, enough units. (laughs) And so you get to be the director now and you're, you know, you're, you're sink or swim. Mm So I don't know. I'm thinking, I guess what I'm saying is that the, the midstream adjustments, right? That pivot midpoint is going to be a lot more effective. I would think if your team is on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that's not to say it will be easy by any means, No. um, but it will definitely be easier. And Mm -hmm. it will be when, when you have a group of people that are willing to lean into the discomfort and recognize the disequilibrium and know that that's where the learning happens, then the awkward conversations and the hard conversations are going to actually be useful. They're not going to result in people quitting and storming away. Yeah. And you can't have those conversations if you have 
leadership that don't know how to lead because they just shut them yes. down because they, they want to keep the peace and right or their ego mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or just this sort of collective consciousness that we have that that work relationships have to be hierarchic hierarchical mm. why can't i say mm -hmm. the word that there's a boss and there's the not bosses and we just we've got it's it's all the same team and we just have different positions that we're playing yeah but but we need to to do that together um and do you think though that a lot of people would say that they wish that their programs had that kind of feeling and structure to them but they feel like they're they again now let's go back to his opening his opening mm -hmm. comment but this is just the way the pattern has been set this is all i know this is all that's right. familiar and so i think i'm not allowed to do it right when really everybody when they go home at night is like damn i really wish that this is what it was right like. i think most people would would welcome that but don't know how to get there or, mm -hmm. or don't know what it looks like or how to do it or if it's okay to do it yeah yeah true well this is depressing okay <laughs> happy parting shots okay. well wait wait so some ways oh. to get there yeah okay like let's let's think that through like if we're you're super bummed because you want to have this more this feel and this reality of more collective leadership in your program who's got advice <laughs> I might have sounded like I did. Um, well, okay, maybe read I read the book. I mean, there's. A, yeah, I mean, in the, the new book. book, five elements of collective leadership for early childhood professionals. Yeah. Boom. There's a I, one that I ordered today that you will be hearing about on the podcast. I'm yeah, sure. But, um, I know what one thing I did at a previous program where I had the feeling that I then are I had to articulate it into a thought, and the, the feeling was this, you know, schedule where on this week we're going to talk about senses and on monday we talk about taste and then we talk about sound i'm like i don't think this is right this makes me upset why does this make me upset and i had to figure out how to articulate that yeah which is a really great exercise by the way because if you think mm -hmm. it's easy it's not mm -hmm. um trying to articulate why something makes you angry without using the phrase i'm angry <laughs> is very interesting um it took me a, 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 little, it took me a little while i'll own that it took me a little to, to like kind of get this courage to go to my then assistant director and say i don't want to do it this way because mm -hmm. i don't think this is how children will really experience their senses i think yeah. they do that every day i think i can work this language and work these experiences into everything we do and i would instead like to spend this time exploring this idea of spiders because <laughs> they are fascinated with the spider that we found in the classroom uh -huh. and they would like to know more about right. it they which, would like to play with it fits what wardle is, says in the article when he talks about taking the theme you're supposed to do and figuring right. out how you can make it fit so you could still fit into a spider study absolutely yeah. and this is the this that was like this little baby step for me towards yeah. collective leadership of like yeah. i'm gonna take some ownership over what's happening in my room yeah. i want your feedback and i respect you enough to tell you about it mm -hmm. and i'm doing it because i think maybe if i plant this thought in your head that's gonna help <laughs> you think about next week where we are supposed to talk about the sun and the moon yeah. it's like hey my first attempt at collective leadership was to invite my boss out to lunch it didn't go well <laughs> But I was a different, much cockier person then. And I'm sure my <laughs> delivery was not. That made me think of how, um, <laughs> like when we talk about poopy faces and how they're adamant that everything needs to be laminated and how they, they're their way or the highway. I think even though we're right, we have to be careful that we don't we do. do the 
same thing and be like, well, play is the way and that's all there is because it's just, yeah. that's how people clash and yeah. it, they're not going to move if you're not going to even consider moving an inch, um, let alone a mile. Mm-hmm. True. Yeah, True. none of us would listen to someone who dismisses our deeply held beliefs from the get-go. Right, right, right. Uh, another suggestion I have is really casually leaving this article around somewhere where somebody <laughs> might find it. But like, hi- you know, just like leave some highlighted portions around, like on your desk, like in the lunchroom. <laughs> just, you know, maybe like post it sometime. I articles like this in the break room at yes. work at my school all the time. Definitely an article planter. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, hey, did anybody else see? I don't know who put it there. Did all those notes? I just found it on the table. Right. Wow. Looks interesting, though, right? Beautiful handwriting. Wow. (laughs) And you know, it's just so well articulated. Mm -hmm. Um, I like how he he teases the book. Did he write the book? Did he write the collective leadership book? No, he's not credited as an author. It's Um, a woman. Two women. The first Um, element is shared vision, right? Um, I'm looking from the article. The third element says collective wisdom and intelligence exist, right? That's deeper than individual intelligence. One person can't hold all the knowledge Mm -hmm. rotating and sharing Mm -hmm. roles and responsibilities. Um, And, and where my brain is going is like, we say that we're trying to create environments for the children that kind of reflect the same feelings, Mm -hmm. shared visions but yet often don't allow adults to have it right again now there's that disconnect between you know why should the kids why should the kids be entitled to this i don't get it as an adult and i, yeah. I think that's a di- the difference between a buzzword and a philosophy is is that the buzzword is we say we do it but we only practice it in the classroom and we only do it mm-hmm. to other people it's like that We're, welcome sign yeah. welcome but, but not you oh but not you yeah yeah yeah, Lisa, that reminds me of um, something my, my co-teacher says all the time. She's, she's, Janine, you're the best, if you're listening. Um, but something <laughs> she says a lot is, is why would we do this? Why are we doing it like this with adults when we don't do it with children? This isn't how we, you know, talk to our children. This isn't how we expect our children to come to decisions. So why would we expect that of, you know, the teachers in the school? Why would we expect mm-hmm. that of the teachers anywhere? Why would we expect that of the parents who are working with? Mm-hmm. You're so smart. Yeah. Because wow. we disconnect from the humanity of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think so. And I think things like this, like these guerrilla teaching tactics, are really just another way to get back to that humanity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Is that it? Are we done? Are we empty? It's a good one. <laughs> okay. It's, it's, a, it's a good one. It was. <laughs> That's a good one. Thank you all so much. I love you all and your beautiful brains. Love you too. And your passion. And um, this was so fun. So um, so thank you. And thank you everybody for coming back and listening to another episode. Hope you'll do it again. And that's the show. Now go get your nerd on. has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.